You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 104 called 17 Best Kept Secrets in Google Apps for Education. In this episode, Geis and I will discuss 17 hacks, tips, tricks, and extensions that teachers should be using when using Chrome and Google for Education apps. We'll also discuss some of our latest published content and share a giant announcement that we've been alluding to for the past few episodes. This is another one you don't want to miss. Check it out. So we're hopping right into 104, and this is one of my favorite episodes. We kind of do this one pretty much every year, uh, where we just go and throw out some reminders and add some new best-kept secrets, especially when we're talking about Google Chrome and Google Apps for Education. So before we get into those, I think uh, we should probably talk a little bit about what we've had going on the last couple of weeks. So Nick, what's on your mind? How are you doing today? Uh, not too much is on my mind. I'm doing pretty good. We're, you know, as we're recording this, I'm, I'm deep in the mid year or the end of quarter or end of semester, whatever you want to call it, the, the big grading push, because we're sort of starting a new marking period here, which means there's lots of that, you know, everybody's favorite bookkeeping stuff to take care of. So lots of grading, lots of emailing, lots of students checking on their grades. And as you know, that stuff is pretty time consuming, but I also always kind of look forward to it because it's uh, when it's over, it's sort of like a fresh start. So that's what I'm dealing with now. What about you? What's going on? Uh, a little bit of the same. We just wrapped up our podcasting course. So I'm trying to listen to the last uh eight episodes or so that was turned in to me. We were remote the last two and a half, three weeks. So students really had to get a little bit creative on how they were going to record and edit their podcasts and things like that. So we had to find some alternate routes rather than the traditional setup that's in our podcasting rooms. Uh, but, you know, all in all, I think we're we're in a good spot. So with that being said, why don't we just hop into some of our most recent blogs? Because as of late, we've been, we've been blogging a lot more. And I don't know if that will hold up throughout the year, but I know I'm definitely enjoying it. It's allowing me to showcase some tools that we don't talk about as much or some tools and tips and tricks that just are... They need to be out there. If it helps one person, that blog post is doing its job. So uh, the first blog post I really wanted to talk about was uh, our last one that we published, which is five ed tech tools for the blended learning classroom. So I really like this blog post. It got some nice interaction on social media. What I mean by that is uh, someone very, very quickly told me that I left off Flipgrid. So <laughs> I, I love that type of stuff because it shows me that people are very passionate about Flipgrid and Flipgrid is an awesome tool, uh, not knocking Flipgrid. I, I love the energy it causes within teachers and that energy is welcomed. But my five tools are ones that I'm using currently that aren't probably as widely used as Flipgrid because, you know, everyone knows Flipgrid, rightfully so. 
because it's such an awesome tool. But uh, you want to check out this blog because it gives you five different ed tech tools and they all serve a different purpose within the blended learning classroom. Yeah, I'll I'll second that too. A lot of the stuff that we feature, we are well aware that there's other tools out there like the Flipgrids or Kahoot that I don't know if they're better, but that are just really widely used. And that's kind of why we don't mention them all the time. But, you know, that being said, we do love the feedback. So that's uh, kind of, I think, what makes our show even better is when we hear about things like that from people. So if you ever think we miss anything, do not hesitate to reach out because uh, that's that's good stuff to be aware of. And I will say this. The uh, Flipgridders uh, out there, and I'm one, I use Flipgrid too. Sure. They're inspiring me to see how many different ways we can come up with. We as the whole PLN, how many different ways we could come up with using Flipgrid for different purposes. So that that might be, uh, you know, a blog post in, in the making. And if you're a Flipgridder out there and uh, you have some unique ways that you use Flipgrid, make sure you reach out to me on social media at Guys got teched and, and share them. I'd love to hear them. So we've also got a recent blog that features one of our, uh, maybe my favorite choice board that we've put together. We've done a bunch of these over the years. And this one is the Student Content Creation Pyramid. So it's a choice board that's built off of a, a pyramid as a model. So if you can imagine that the base of the pyramid is the widest part. I think it has like four different blocks and those four blocks at the bottom are the that's the choice part, the student choice part where they get to choose a different type of project. So, you know, I think in our sample and you can get a copy of this when you go to the blog post, it's got like a podcast or a video or a storyboard and you can edit those to whatever projects you want your students to be able to choose between. And then as they go up, it just kind of refines each of those projects to the, the, the end result, the, the peak of the pyramid, and everybody's going to have the, the same end result regardless of which project or what product they're choosing to create, and that is posting it and publishing it. Uh, this particular choice board is made in Google Slides, which is great because when you click it, you can make your very own copy. It's also great because it's editable by you once you make your own copy, and it's meant to be shared with your students. So once you get a copy and make it your own, this is what you push out to the kids, and all of the everything in the slide deck is clickable. So as they, you know, if they think they might want to choose a podcast, they click on the podcast option of the pyramid, and it takes them to another slide that basically tells them how to do it. it, gives them all the info they need on that particular project. So I like this one. I think it's one of the, the better things that we've put together, and it's always worth sharing out. We have talked about it before, but I think this is the first time we've formally shared it in a blog post. So that's a great one. Check it out. Yeah, just going along with that, uh, you said that there's all the information needed to do that project. We have to point out that there are rubrics already pre-built into it. So it really, we're hoping that it cuts down the time it takes you to prepare this type of assignment for your classroom. All right, so let's get into the next one. Uh, last week, actually, it started about a month ago. I just started getting all these ideas on how to use one of my favorite uh, ed tech tools, which is Moat. We talk about this all the time. Everyone knows I'm obsessed with Moat, but they keep coming out with more functionality to that tool. What I did is I made a blog post called Why I Moat, and there's five templates uh, that you can use in your classroom. And I also mentioned the Moat Learning Hub, which has a whole bunch of other free templates that you could use in your classroom. So some of the ones that are included in this 
are the moat presidential map. So it's a way to annotate maps. You can put any type of map that you want in there, but it gets students working with the map and they could drop in their own moats. Uh, I did one on the presidents where each uh, student will get assigned one, two, maybe three, depending on your class size. Presidents, uh, and what they would have to do is do some simple research where they're from, a couple interesting facts, and then what they would do is drop a moat on the state that that president was from. So that that's one. There's another one, a claims evidence reasoning template. And I believe the third one was, uh, there are a couple different writing exercises, whether you're doing a book review, doing a summary on a book, or if you're writing your own story. Well, I did five of them. And then a couple days after I published it, I thought of a couple more. So I published those on social media. Maybe I'll link them into the show notes as well. But it's another writing exercise one. But the one I really like is the one on leadership, identifying leadership characteristics. So it asks students a question, what are some leadership characteristics that make up a leader? And they identify those either by typing into the Google slide or by sharing it with the moat. And then they go find a couple of YouTube videos showing motivational or leadership videos. A lot of times these are characters and videos. And the third box is asking the students to link it back to the characteristics. What about this clip portrays a leader? Why do you think this is a, a leader? And how are these leaders different between your two different clips? So I, I think those are some good templates that you could easily use, especially the leadership one, maybe at the beginning. I know we're starting the second semester, so maybe the beginning of the uh, second semester, you could do it as an icebreaker. Yeah, lots of great tools there. And, you know, Moat is great because it, it's sort of, it's so leveled in that you can use it as literally just its purpose of making your Google commenting faster, right? Making it more personalized by using the voice recording commenting that it was kind of built out of but these templates that you've been working on and, and almost if not all of these are, are Geis's creation he's really uh, passionate about that that they also are making moat the centerpiece really the whole lesson is, is built off of that I just think it's cool when there's a tool that is very simple like moat that does really just one thing but it's such a great thing that it can be applied in so many different ways and I guess that brings me to the the last recent blog post, which is kind of just a, a repeat of things that we've been sharing uh, quite a bit. Actually, I'm talking about the 12 days of EdTech. This was our pre-holiday season, one video per day, uh, just just a, a blast of information on a whole bunch of different topics, everything from you know Canva to gamification tools. We just made a, a series, really a video series, very short videos where every single day we sent out a different one. And we have shared all those on the show and on Twitter, but this is the official formal kind of putting all 12 together in one place in this blog post. So I think the whole series came out really nice. You can find those on our YouTube channel and you can find all of these recent blog posts on gottech.com or just head to the episode 104 show notes and you can find direct links to them there as well. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So if you're listening to the podcast, you'll obviously you just heard our big announcement. We are now part of the Teach Better Network. 
you're watching us on video, uh, you will not see that. You'll have to go over and listen to the announcement on the podcast. But we are part of the Teach Better uh, podcast network. We're super excited about this opportunity. For a while now, we've been trying to think about how we can make a greater impact uh, on ed- educators and and try to help them out. And one of the ways is to combine with something that is bigger than ourselves. And that's what we did. We joined up with the Teach Better Podcast Network. Super excited. They are great people over there. We reached out. We said we had interest. We met a couple times. And, you know, I, I just think it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And we have a lot of goals that align to one another. So we're very, very excited about this. Yeah, I like to think about it as, you know, our podcast, which has really been flying solo for the you know past three years since we've been doing it. We're now part of a larger flock of podcasts, which is really awesome. And I'll, I'll make just uh, the Teach Better website, teachbetter.com, part of, you know, one of our featured tools for this episode. If you don't know about it, it's a lot more than just a podcast network. If you go to teachbetter.com, they have all kinds of things like professional development. They have academies that you can sign up for, uh, a whole, you know, all kinds of videos on everything from just inspiration to more concrete lesson ideas. They're the best. And, you know, just the, the podcast network is one small piece of what they do. But we like guys just said, we're super excited to be part of a podcast network. And we're really proud that it is the Teach Better one because I think they are awesome. So that's fantastic. And we're happy to be there. And with that, I think we can get into the main segment of this episode where we will talk about some best kept secrets, some hacks, some tips, some tricks. I think we've got about 17 of these, maybe a little bit more depending on how you break them apart. But Man, I don't know. This is always one of my favorite topics to talk about because these are just little things that are just fun to know. They make your your digital life a little bit easier, a little bit smoother. And I think almost all these are focused on stuff in the, the Google platform. So Google education apps. And I'll let you kick it off with these uh, this list that we put together for today. business to podcast for all you new listeners who don't really know what this podcast is about let me tell you all about business the podcast is exactly what it sounds like my podcast dives deep into the different aspects industries and ways to make money all relating to business in most episodes i will bring on guest students and ask them about their opinions and views on topic at hand if you want to listen to more about All About Business Podcast, you can find it on hbspn.com, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I hope to see you there. Bye. One thing we got to say before this, some of these you, you're going to know, but for the teacher that finds out one of these, uh, that's really who, I don't know, that makes this type of a show worth it. Uh, we go to conferences a lot, a lot less since uh, COVID, but we're getting back into it. Uh, we'll be at Pete and C next month and uh, NJECC in March, but we bring these tips there. We don't bring them all 17 or all 19 of them every time we go out. We'll just pick one that we want to focus on that time and just be like, hey, by the way, did you know this? Most 
people will say yes, but there'll be a couple of them like, no way. I didn't know that. And I wish I did a long time ago. It saved me all this time. So some may be a review, some may be new. And that's what we're really shooting for here. A nice mix. Because uh, we're trying to get everybody, you know, closer to the same spot. Uh, I think that's a great goal to have. So the first one we're going to deal with is just in Chrome hacks, actually the first two, one of which I'll do and one which Nick will do. And one of my favorites, and this is oldie but a goodie, is tab reopen. So I am a tabber. I will have 17 tabs going across the uh, top of my screen. I'm comfortable with that. But every once in a while, when I go to close them, I close the wrong tab. So tab reopen, you could easily do this on Chrome by hitting Control, Shift, and T at the same time. It will bring back the last tab you closed. It doesn't matter if it was two seconds ago. It doesn't matter if it was 20 minutes ago. It will, as long as you keep hitting Control, Shift, T, it will keep bringing tabs back, which is really cool. And one thing I did notice that, you know, every... Every single tool or trick that we've used so far, I'm just putting an ER at the end, and that makes it the person. Like flip gritter, tap. I'm a tabber. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like it. I'll roll with it. But uh, why don't you roll with your first Chrome hack? Yeah, I'm curious if you can do that with uh, this one that I'm going to talk about now, which is sort of in the same theme, uh, and that is if you have a, a bunch of tabs up all at once, you can really really quickly uh, scroll through them. You know, sometimes, especially if you have a lot, they, you know, the size of the tab will shrink down so you can accommodate all those. And it gets sort of tough to see what each of them is. You might forget the tabs that you've got up, but if you hold down control and tap one of your number keys on the keyboard. So right now, if I hit control one, it's automatically popping over to the first tab in the list. So the far left-hand side, control two goes to the second, control three, the third and so forth. And this is just a very slightly faster way to navigate through your tabs and sort of quickly see what's there. I would use this if I had a bunch of them up and I know I want to clean house a little bit and, and close some that I'm not really using. I can use this control number key trick to kind of quickly see what's there and then close them if I don't need them and shrink down the number of tabs that I've got open. It's a, it's a nice way to kind of speed up that process, I think. All right. So you're either a scroller or a chromer. Ooh, OK. I'll take either one of those. Maybe scroller because chromer could be maybe a lot of different things. All right. So I was giving you a vague and a specific. You went with the specific. So <laughs> we'll, we'll roll with that. Let's head into Google Slides. One of my favorite secrets in Google Slides is the reformatting the uh, slide dimensions. So a lot of times people don't know this one. If you go into your Google Slide and you go to File, Page Setup, and then go down to Custom. When you go to Page Setup, it will give you the 16 by 9 dimension. There's a 5 to 4 or something like that ratio dimension. And then underneath is Custom. You want to click Custom, and then you could set the length and the width. So say you're making a digital worksheet. You're making your typical worksheet digital. You want to leave it at the 8.5 by 11 size because you have a couple students that do not like doing worksheets digitally. Well, okay, you got to print those out, so why not make them eight and a half by 11? Really, this is this is an awesome one. I just shared this uh, tick with one of my son's preschool teachers, and they're making a little book with the kids in preschool, and 
they wanted to find an easy program to do this. I said, just use slides and change the dimensions. It's probably the easiest way. And now they're off to the races. They're very happy with it. I'm very happy with it because, like I said, every time I find out someone doesn't know something that we share and they're appreciative of it, I, I it just, I don't know, it makes me want to do this even more. It makes me want to podcast more, make more episodes. So that made me happy. But there you go. Go reformat your slide dimensions, go to file, page setup, custom, and then change the length and the width. So yeah, that I, one right there would be tougher, but I'm just going to go with uh, a reformatter. I don't know. A <laughs> dimensioner. All right, I got to stop this, but go ahead and uh, you can share your Google slide. Maybe slides reformatter, so at least people would know what tool we're talking about. I was that's trying cool. to stick with one one word, but if you yeah. want to hyphen that, that still works. No, I get it. Well, if you're going up past one word, it gets silly. But uh, okay, reformatter, fine. I'll add to that. You know, I think if you ask a lot of ed tech experts, their number one tool that if they could only have one tool, what would it be? The answer is often Google Slides because it can be so many things. And, you know, knowing that you can change the dimensions of slides, I think, is one of the reasons that it, it gets that place and earns that honor is you can really literally make a slide anything. And that, it, you know, a big part of that is setting the dimension. So that's a great one. Uh, if you're doing that, you might also want to, you know, that means your slides are going to take a lot of different forms now, maybe a worksheet, maybe a, a digital poster, uh, whatever it is, you are probably then sharing that with your students in some way. And if there's images in those slides, you might not want those images moved or messed with. That image might be part of the background, let's say, and you want it to stay where it is and look a certain way. You can do that instead of just putting the picture in the slide as an image, because then obviously once your students have it, they can click it, move it, delete it by accident. Um, you can add it to the background of the slide by simply right clicking on a blank slide and then going to choose image and finding that image and automatically making it the background. If a student really wanted to, they could access that, of course, and change it and delete it. But that's not really what we're trying to work around here. We're just working around mistakenly clicking it or just that picture getting in the way and kind of being a nuisance if you're adding in text boxes and other things to the slide. Put it in the background, though, and you don't really have that concern anymore. And it's something that we see, you know, an odd number of times. People come in all the time wondering how to get pictures into the background of a slide. So it's as simple as right clicking on the slide itself, using that pop-up menu, going to choose image. And that's a, another great tip for editing your Google Slides. Yeah, with this one, I, I get this one a lot with math teachers. They want students to be able to work on math problems without moving the math problems around within Google Slides. So just showing them how to have the math problem as the background image that takes care of it. And that allows them to use the annotation tool, which can get a little messy with just a touchpad or a touch screen, but at least the background will not go away. So that's pretty good. Uh, let's go into Google Slides next. Uh, oftentimes students write their reports in uh, Google Docs. I might say Google Slides, but we're going Google Docs anyway. Uh, <laughs> So oftentimes they'll write their reports uh, within Google Docs. It's uh, it's just where they go as a word processor, especially with Chromebooks. But instead of having a page limit, sometimes there's a word limit, especially with our seniors right now. 
writing their senior uh, application essays. They want to know the word count. Well, there's a shortcut that allows you to display the word count when you want to see it, or you could display it permanently uh, throughout you typing a paper. Me, I get anxious when I see a whole bunch of, every time I look up and I see my words change, my word count change. So I would probably just use the shortcut, which is control shift C. But if you want it to permanently display on your screen, you can go to tools and then there's a little uh, checkoff that says display word count while typing. You'll just click that and you'll have your word count being displayed as you type. I love that tip. And what this would also eventually do is kind of help you develop a sense of, and I remember this from grad school, you probably do as well, but you sort of figure out like, you know, half a page worth of writing in a certain font in a certain size is going to be about a certain number of words. And I think this can help your students with that same writing sense or you, or you, if you are maybe dealing with that type of thing as well. So that's a cool one. Um, the, another one with Google Docs, and I use this actually all the time, and it's one of the things I like telling teachers about who are trying to digitize their worksheets, things that are typically done on paper that require maybe students to draw in a blank space on the paper. And if you're digitizing that same activity, how are you supposed to do that? Because now it's in a Google Doc and you cannot draw on a computer screen. Uh, well, kind of you can, if you know in a Google Doc that you can go to insert drawing and then within the drawing tool, so it's gonna give you this little pop-up with the you know shapes and things you can add, but within the drawing tools, if you hover over the line icon, one of the lines is a scribble feature. And that scribble feature is just that. It lets you write with your mouse or your trackpad or even better, if your students have some type of a touch screen, then they can literally just write on the screen with that scribble line. It's going to add it into that drawing. And then when you're done, you click insert and whatever they just drew out pops into the Google Doc and it can be, you know, shrunk down or expanded, which is another really nice feature. And this accomplishes lots of things. It lets you maybe add a signature to the end of a doc. So anybody out there who's writing perhaps recommendation letters and you don't want to print and sign it with a pen and then scan it to re-upload it as a PDF. You can just put your signature straight in there. So it's all fully digital. And you know, your next time your students are making some type of a diagram or a model, that drawing feature can be done digitally with, with this tool with going to insert drawing and then the scribble line icon. I love that one. I use it all the time and I, I love telling people about it too. Yeah, that's a great one. There's a lot of little neat tricks that you can do uh, inside of Google Drawings. I know that we can't embed videos directly into uh, Google Docs, but there is a way through Google Drawings. I'm trying to uh, look in my Twitter because I did have a contact with a student who sent me a way that you could do this because I believe we mentioned this on another podcast. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share that name in the show notes. I will also bring it up if I find it before the end of this episode, because I need to give credit where credit is due. But if you go into Google drawings, you can embed your video within that drawing and bring it into uh, a Google Doc, which is pretty cool. So I will look for that in a little bit. 
until then, I'm going to go into Google Sheets now. One of the things with Google Sheets, and I that's probably my worst app, worst knowledgeable app, but I'm getting better at it. I'm doing, I'm practicing more, getting more familiar with it. But one thing that always drove me nuts is if I wanted to type out something within a Google cell, and I only wanted it to be like three or four words, and then I wanted it to do a line break. So go down to the next line within that cell. So we're not going to a new one. We're not doing text wrapping. We're just uh, typing. Maybe it's a header of a category and underneath you want to say in centimeters or whatever. So if I'm in a science table and I'm saying the length in centimeters, I want underneath that in brackets. Well, you could do that. And it's not hard to do by adding a line break. And what that is, is just control enter when you're in the cell. So once again, it's not text wrapping. It's adding a new line on purpose before the width of that cell has been reached. So that's my hack for Google Sheets. Yeah, this used to make me nuts. I would sit there hitting enter to try and go down a line. But when you hit enter in a spreadsheet, it just brings you down to the next cell. And maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want to have a different line in the same cell. So that's a, that's a really good one that drives a lot of people nuts, me included. So try to remember that one, guys, if you can, uh, as well as... If you're in Google Sheets, you can actually add checkboxes that you can interact with, like clickable checkboxes by simply going to insert checkboxes. So that way you'll, you're essentially making a list, and that list it has these little checks next to it. So as you complete them, you can click it, and it checks it off. It's like a, like a ready-made digital to-do list, just like you would write out and maybe cross off things. And now you can have that same experience digitally. I'm a big to-do list guy, as you probably know, if you listen to the, the to our show. And this is a nice way to digitize that, as well as if you are sharing to-do lists between, uh, you know, within a group maybe. And it's a good way to make sure you're not doubling up on work because you can cross them off or check them off as you go. Yeah, that that is also another fantastic one. I know that my wife and I, we share a Google Sheet where we have our list of things food items that are our uh, our kids like so i have three young boys they drink about three gallons of milk each week so anytime we finish a gallon we'll uncheck the box so we know if one of us uh, my wife or i are, are close to the grocery store we could go into there and make sure that we always have the kids staple foods because they are super picky eaters so we need to get them to eat something so we always revert back to the same like 12 things while offering them other options, which they tend to never eat. So that wraps up the Google Sheets hacks. Let's get in the Jamboard. And this is an awesome one. Uh, we all, most teachers have gotten into Jamboard since remote learning. Uh, what we did is we shared with you three templates. These could be used in remote learning, but also it could be used in the classroom to kind of speed up processes or increase communication. So the first uh, template is a attendance template. We have a, f a flex period. Uh, it's called recitation where students have 30 to 40 minutes to work on homework or go find a teacher and get extra help or go take tests, things like that. So usually the beginning of that period is chaotic because students have to check into their recitation room, and then they go away. 
they go to a teacher or they're working or they're going to the media center or whatever it may be. So an easy way to do attendance right at the beginning is to share a Jamboard with them. And this is a Jamboard that they would access every day. It has all their names in boxes. And then on the outside of it, it has green check marks. So what they have to do is drag the green check mark into the box. Now, this might not be something that you can do right away, like the first day of class, because you have to build a rapport with your students and make sure that you have trust between you and them and let them know that this is something that they could easily manipulate and they shouldn't abuse it. So they shouldn't check in someone else. You need to lay down some ground rules. So that's an attendance one. You could also use this same grid if you're sharing out a project, maybe a Google Doc or a slide or something like that. And at the end of the period, they have to show their progress. They could put their hyperlink to their whatever work that they were doing in their box. And then the teacher can look at it after class sometime. So that's another way you could use the same template. Yeah, I like it as a group check-in for sure. You can sort of use it in the same way if you have like a, a series of stations. It's something I do a lot uh, with my students and I kind of want to know what stations they've completed and which ones they haven't. So dragging in different check boxes on top of a, a grid uh, that outlines all the different stations is a quick and easy way for me to get a whole sense of where the class is at rather than trying to run around and like visually see or ask individual people that can be time consuming, but if they're just automatically sliding over a, a little check when station A and station B is complete, it's a big time saver. Um, I'll add to if anybody's doing a, a remote classroom still, uh, depending on the situation uh, where you're at and where you're living in your school district, that's kind of tough in that Zoom meeting or Google Meet or whatever it is to, to know who's still paying attention at the middle of the lesson or the end. Sometimes kids will literally get up and, and leave, but they, they are still logged into the Zoom and you don't know necessarily that they have left. Uh, so one thing I started doing was asking them to complete this attendance board at the end of the lesson and sort of watching, and you know, you can watch all the check boxes get moved around if there's any kids that didn't do it, you could sort of verbally prompt them, you know, Johnny, could you please move over your checkbox? I'm doing an end of period attendance today. And if Johnny doesn't do it, Johnny's probably not there. And if he is there, he's not listening at all. He might just have the volume turned down. So it was a good way to sort of keep everybody on task. Um, so I like those Jamboard templates for many things. And it's cool that they can help with this, you know, sort of housekeeping stuff as well. So that's a good one. And let's use... Jam border, can we do that for jam border? Yeah, I mean that that's fine. I, I'll yeah. take it. Like now, it. any other templates that you think uh, we we should throw in here? Uh, for jam, I mean, there's there's so many jam board templates uh, that are out there. Really, anything where you want your students drawing or annotating on top of a picture or over a map or anything like that. Uh, adding in little sticky notes to just express like a quick opinion or share in a bit of a safer space. Jamboard's the the way to go. I can't think of anything specific, although we do have access to a really awesome, uh, like a database essentially of just that, all Jamboard templates. We didn't make it, but it's out there uh, 
created by someone else. And we will uh, share that in the show notes for people. Yeah. So if you head over to Wakelet and you type in Jamboard templates, that's where I would go and start looking. Don't recreate the wheel. And if you do make it more personalized to yourself, but get the idea from somewhere else. Uh, but Jamboard is such an amazing tool. All right. So now we're going to go into our secret weapon, which is Google Keep. Not a lot of buzz around Google Keep as of late, but we do have a couple of little tips and tricks that help us with grading uh, for students' work within the Google for Apps, uh, Google for Education Apps platform. So the first one is working with rubrics. So when I assign a project, usually I don't make the rubric until we're in the research phase of the project. So I want students to make something. They have to make an artifact, they turn it in, and then we publish it. That's a rule of mine. Whatever you make, not everything, but anything that's worked on for more than a day, we publish. I want other students to look at previous students' work. And we're never publishing tests. We're never publishing notes. Uh, we're not publishing that type of stuff. We're, we're publishing our product, which should be an extension or an application of what they're taking notes on. So you shouldn't be really giving away anything that might be on a test or anything like that. But when I hand out a project, I'll make the rubric when they're in the research phase. And the reason why I do that is because for some reason, I always find myself changing the rubric after this phase almost every single project if I already pre-made the rubric. Because students take these projects in different places. They have questions that spark some awesome extensions to these projects. So what I'll do is I'll just give them a list of must-haves, and then I'll have them go to the uh, research phase. And as they're doing the research phase, after all those questions came in and things like that, I will add a rubric to their uh, projects by clicking on their Google Doc that they shared with me and uh, dragging it in from Google Keep. In Google Keep, I save images of all my uh, rubrics. And it's very easy to just click on the rubric that I need, drag it in to the bottom of their Google Sheet where they're doing their research, and then we're good to go. The communication's there. Uh, they know where to find my feedback when they're done. And I'll use Moat to explain where they landed on the rubric, which saves so much time. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. I'll even have like for a given rubric, let's say the, my lab report rubric, got images of them saved too, just like you said. But, you know, and maybe this is just clarifying what you said. I'm not sure. But I have like different score sets within that rubric as different images. So, you know, if a certain lab report is strong in terms of content, but weak on organization and professionalism, I have a, an image of a rubric score set for that. And that's what, that's what I'm clicking and dragging in uh, to the doc for really, really quick, fast grading. So I love it for that. And the moat makes it even stronger. Along those same lines, you can have digital stickers saved in Google Keep, which is really fun. Uh, even at the higher grades, like high school kids, even probably beyond, I, bet, I mean, I would get pretty jazzed if someone gave me a sticker right now. I love stickers. And you can digitize that by pulling in little, little pictures, little icons. Uh, your students will really like it if they are pictures of you. You can have yourself making like 
you know, fun faces or a big giant dumb smile with a thumbs up. I have a couple that I use for that. And that's sort of the digital version of the sticker. If you want to get really fancy, you can, you know, go into something like Canva and create really professional looking icons with your face on them or, you know, thumbs up or whatever you want to do. But it, it can be as simple as, you know, open up your webcam and take a quick picture of you smiling. And that's your digital sticker that you drag in there. And there's tons of really cool applications of this. It's one of the, th the things that can really help build that rapport, which is sometimes lost when you digitize things and you can still do it. And if you're using, you know, if you're using it to make these digital stickers, you want to go really crazy. You can even turn them into GIFs. A lot of your screencast recording programs like Screencastify, you can just record a quick, you know, three second snippet of your face waving and you can automatically download that as a GIF. And that's, uh, you know, a way to take that that uh, digital sticker sort of to the to the next level. So. Lots of ways to do that, and that's one of my favorite ones. Everyone loves stickers, especially when you personalize them, for sure. And doing or making gifts is a great way of doing that, or just going into slides and taking your picture, making a weird face, and adding a caption to it, saving it as a JPEG, and putting it into Google Keep and dragging them over to your Google Docs. So I'm happy to report that I did find the uh, recommendation of adding a video through drawings to your Google Docs. And that came in an email. I was looking through my, my Twitter. That came in an email from Linda Hummer. So I wanted to give a shout out to Linda. She taught me something new and I appreciate her for that. And I wanted to make sure credit was given where it is due. So let's go into our next category, which is kind of a universal hack for all the Google Apps for Education. Uh, there are two. We both love these ones. We use them all the time. They are one of the best kept secrets. And the first one is the activity dashboard. So if you go into tools, whether you're in uh, docs, slides, uh, sheets, whatever it may be, if you go into tools, at the very bottom, you'll see activity dashboard and you can go ahead and click on that. And what that's gonna do is it's gonna bring up who's viewing the document. It's gonna bring up viewer trend, any comments that's been associated with that document and any type of sharing history. So if you're giving some type of open-ended uh, questions to students and you don't want them to share them with it other places, this is a good spot to see if, if they're doing it. Obviously, if they make a copy, you won't be able to see the copy sharing history, but you can for this particular document. Or if uh, someone says that they don't think that you shared it with them, you could go there to uh, double check whether you did or you didn't. But the viewer trend is, is awesome because if you share something out to all your students, you could easily see what type of engagement that document's getting. So I send out something, I tell all the students, I want them to look at it between now and the next class period. And then I go in and I see only five people out of 24 actually opened the document and looked at it. Well, the writing's gonna be on the wall. When you go in, you know that everyone's not gonna be prepared. So you might as well determine how you wanna deal with that at that time. So activity dashboard is a pretty awesome tool that not a lot of people utilize. Yeah, or if you have a specific student 
um, you know, I run into this with different projects or, or lab work usually because I have one like a lab report rubric help doc that's posted on my website and I can, you know, it's, it's view only. So it should, they should just be viewing that one copy. Nobody should be making their own copy. So, you know, I've had students before that I'm trying to help do a better job and they're telling me, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm using, I'm using your help document for sure. I can go there and see definitively who has viewed it like by name. Uh, you know, and that's really helpful for me to go back and say, uh, no, you haven't, or yes, you have been using it. So let's figure out what else is going on here and what else I can do to help you. Oops, also, sorry. I got to hop in here cause you just sparked yeah. something. I, I love when you do this. It's awesome. You probably hate when I interrupt you, but sorry. And it's going to happen for at least another 100 episodes. Uh, but group work. Oftentimes, we want to know who's doing what or who's actually contributing to the document. So if, if you tell um, each group that they have to share a document with you, you could go into that, that uh, activity dashboard and you can make sure that all five people in that group have at least accessed the document. Because if not, how are they contributing to the work? And questions can be asked at that point. So that's also, you know, a nice little spot where you can see if students are, are keeping up with their share of the group work. Yeah, totally, man. No, I'm glad you jumped in with that because that's an important uh, way to use it. The next one that is sort of a universal thing is the Explore tool. So when you have a Google Doc up or, you know, really any Google tool, if you go to Explore, which is under the tools again, so Tools Explore. Um, there's a keyboard shortcut for that. Control Alt Shift and I think I. I. Yeah, just made, that's that's a lot of keys. Probably just easier to go to Tools and Explore. But this is really great because it opens up the the Google Omnibox, which is essentially a little pop up where you can automatically search for images and things to bring into that document without leaving the tab, which is a, another big time saver. And the the Explore tool can be different depending on what you're in. So if you're in Google Slides. The Explore tool is also going to give you the ability to see like different templates, different designs of, you know, if you have a picture in this line already, the Explore tool will say, well, how about these five ways to arrange that picture? And they often look really, really good. So if you're trying to spice up your presentations, uh, that's uh, that Explore tool is another nice way to do it. Yeah, I use that all the time, I believe, in the one-stop shop. And by having that in Google Docs, when I'm making a project, having that ability just to search Google off to the right is huge. It saves so much time. So now let's get into some of our Chrome extensions. We have five, and some of these are new to the podcast or very lightly mentioned to the podcast, but we're sharing five here. These are our five, I'm going to argue that they're my five go-tos because these ones I use all the time. Uh, the first one is Moat, and I'm not going to go into anything more on that since we already talked about it. But as you can see, I think it's a very powerful tool. And until some somebody comes along, makes something better than Moat in the feedback area, I think feedback is one of the most important aspects of a classroom, and that's why that's going to stay in my list. I don't know if it meets your or makes your list uh nick for top five but i'm sure you're going to tell us right now yeah yeah it has to um i don't use it as much as you but when i do it's just super apparent how 
how much uh, faster it makes that commenting process. Uh, the next one, the other extension is called WordTune. Uh, this is really great if you are sort of stuck trying to craft a sentence and you know you kind of get blocked up sometimes. You just can't get the wording quite perfect. Um, and WordTune is a way to, to help with that. So you can insert a sentence and it offers suggestions on how to rewrite that sentence to sound different or better. Um, it does other things, uh, sort of like a Grammarly alternative Um but you can actually go to just see how this works because it's pretty cool. If you, if you just go to their website before downloading the extension, that's wordtune.com, they have a little box where you can type in a sentence. Uh, they have some AI technology that does the rewriting, and it is surprisingly good. I would caution everybody, though, uh, be careful if you share this with your students. It does a lot of the thinking for you, and I don't, stuff like this makes me nervous because if you lean on it too much, then – we are and your students would be losing the ability to think about their own writing. So you don't want to uh, make this, I don't know, too big of a, a encourage the use too much, but it is very helpful for those moments where, where you get stuck and can't get out of it. So at the very minimum, have that conversation with your students. So they are aware of uh, kind of what this, a tool like this should be used. Yeah. The next one is another awesome tool that does something write very, very simplistically. And that's print-friendly PDF. Uh, especially since we went digital, I have not given out any type of a worksheet in probably three or four years now. I, I don't I don't know if I, I make copies anymore. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. But if I do, it's very, very minimally. Uh, and that's because of print-friendly PDF. If you go onto a website, I'm just going to talk ESPN because I was trying to see if uh, a player that plays uh, basketball around here um, grew up around here. So I wanted to go into his info sheet. So I went on to ESPN, and lo and behold, he did grow up around here, and he went to high school close by. So I was going to throw this into uh, one of my current events locally because he did something pretty cool. But when I went when I went on the ESPN site, the site was very congested with other videos and advertisements and all that. But with pre PDF, uh, print-friendly PDF, it's an extension that allows you to, once you have it downloaded, you click on the extension, it's going to bring up that page, and it's going to allow you to clean it up very easily. So all these videos came up, and I wanted to make sure the videos weren't on there. You're not going to be able to watch a a video, uh, a stagnant video. So really it would just be a picture at that point, but I don't want that there. I don't want it cluttering the page. So what I do is hover over each video and advertisement and anything that I don't want. And it brings this trash can image uh, over that image or whatever you're clicking on and you can click on it and it goes away and it really cleans up the website or if it's an article or whatever it may be. So you could save it as a PDF or you could print it in a friendly way. Save ink. Yeah, it's a great tool. Uh, as well as LastPass is a great tool. We all you know, are logged into so many different websites and apps and subscription services these days. I have a handwritten list that's like 30 passwords long now that I try to keep it handwritten for security reasons, but it's not complete and I lose track of some uh, even with that. 
because I have to constantly update it by hand, but there's extensions out there that will hold your passwords for you and uh, do it in a, a safe way, supposedly. I haven't heard anything different about LastPass, so I'm going to assume it's super safe. Uh, it's a free one. It's a really good one. I use it. I'm pretty sure Geis uses it as well. And it does exactly that. It just remembers all your passwords for you so you don't have to worry about it as much, including when you have to change them. It automatically updates to the new one. This is a no-brainer if you're not using something like this because it just removes so much frustration for the, the sign-in issues that a lot of us are dealing with. Yeah, I, I really dislike the fact that every time I go to a, a new site that I need to save a password, I have to come up with a new variation of Grizzly Black Bear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have to add like an exclamation point at the end or some type of special character. Sometimes it's eight, eight characters uh, long. Sometimes it's 12. Well, guess what? LastPass has your back. Go use LastPass. All right. Our last extension we want to mention here is OneTab. We brought this up very early in the podcast. It's a tab manager. Uh, Nick likes the organizational piece of this, but he still doesn't believe in having multiple tabs open, so it doesn't really work out for him. But for me, it does. And I like this. Google has done a nice job at providing teachers and users with ways of organizing tabs into groups and whatever it may be. But there's one functionality that I think one tab does better. All right. Not only can you name a whole list of tabs and close them into one tab. So when you hit the one tab button, all 10 of your open tabs will go into one tab and they will be hyperlinked. So you can access any of those 10 whenever you want but you could lock it so they always stay together. You can name it. And the biggest thing that I like here is that you could share it. So if I have 10 websites in which I want my students to work in, I could save those on one tab and then share them out with a hyperlink so the students can keep accessing them. A lot of times we get carried away. We let our students go out and do research. And when they have so many different options, it takes them a long time to really get to starting the research process. One of the first exercises of research that I believe in is giving them boundaries, maybe five, maybe seven different uh, sources that they could search from to get their research, at least for the first time that they're doing research. And then after that, let it be an open book and let them go at it. But this is a good way to especially if you're crunched for time, just get them the resources that they need, let them use it, and then push it out to them, and that's where they have to stay. So it's also a great lesson then to go over how to make a work cited because you already have all seven or ten of those there, so you can demonstrate how to do it so they have a good example of it. But that is one tab, another amazing tool.
man, what a list. I know I'm excited to go try and incorporate some of these things. And I hope that we saved everybody listening some time. That also means it's time to wrap up this episode. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, everyone, do us some favors. If you're fans of the show, if you like what we do, if you're listening for the first time, if you're listening for the 104th time, whatever it is, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, uh, YouTube would be really awesome. If you watch any of our video-based content, you can go there. Follow us on Twitter. That's the main place where we do our social media interaction. Although you'll find uh, Nick got teched on Instagram as well, where we post whenever there's new episodes. So all those places are great spots to keep up to date with the show. Even better, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's kind of the main podcasting platform and reviews there are most helpful. We really appreciate it. Tell your friends. A lot of teachers still don't know that there are educational podcasts about teaching and they can learn a lot and they can do it in their own time on their way to and from work. It's the best. You can also tell them about gottech.com, our website, where you can find all of our blogs, show notes, new episodes, and much, much more. And now for the first time, you can also tell them to head to teachbetter.com, which is another place where you'll find our show and tons of other shows and tons of other really awesome stuff. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.